thousands showed up. They said, maybe we should have a youth meeting too. They called a youth meeting and 5,000 youth showed up from the city. What happened? Did they get the flyers out? Was it the social media campaign? All these things are great. We ought to promote the gospel without shame. It's the power of God to those who are being saved. But the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We shouldn't be ashamed to promote the gospel. But what in the world can bring 5,000 kids to show up in one night and say, I want to hear about Jesus? The unsaved. What can do that? The, the Christians that were having that meeting, they didn't know what to do. They squeezed as much of the kids in as they could, and the rest they said, I'm sorry, we don't have room for you in the building. You're going to have to stand outside. And there's pictures of the meeting they had in that revival. Not a missions meeting, not a campaign, not a worship meeting, a true, no-kidding, authentic revival, of which other brethren have, have gone and looked at as well. And they had a, they ended up meeting in a tent so there would be no walls so people could just line up outside and hear the gospel. One estimation says conservatively 1,249 people they counted came to faith in a short period of time. Imagine that in this community. Right? Not only the atheists in the region getting saved, even the Muslim neighbors getting saved, and even the Jews getting saved with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But we need to look at God's Word. What does God's Word say about the Holy Spirit? We've been studying that Wednesday. The Holy Spirit is often neglected to our peril. To our peril, we neglect the Holy Spirit and not studying it and not desiring to be filled with it and not desiring more of it in our lives, and not putting aside distractions of which I struggle, same as you, and saying, God, I want more of you in my life. How will we see people saved? Turn to the Gospel of John. The Lord Jesus and the Gospel of John. Please turn to chapter 6. John chapter 6. The Lord Jesus in the Gospel of John speaks something that, that previous to my study was a bit of a mystery to me. And as we've been studying the Holy Spirit, it became clear to me what Jesus is talking about. John chapter 6, verses 41. Verse 41, we'll start reading there. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not... This Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophet's and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And he goes on to preach the gospel, telling them very clearly, I am the bread of life. But they don't understand it. Many don't believe. And Jesus has made it very clear in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Verse 44. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now this is what's interesting. Keep your left hand there and with your right hand go to 1 John. When we go to 1 John, we're, t we're talking about witnesses here. Jesus is there on earth witnessing to them, telling them, listen, I am the bread of life, and it flies right over their head. And he tells them, no one can come to me unless my father draw him. So let's consider then the witness of God. This was Jesus witnessing. If you turn to 1 John chapter 5, this verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, remember that statement, 
We're going to come back to it. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who bears witness because the spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the father, the word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. What does this have to do with the portion of scripture in John? The Lord helped me to preach it to you clearly. Jesus is testifying and witnessing on earth. And here in 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, we hear by the penning of the Holy Spirit that on earth there are three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And it told us very clearly in verse 6 of 1 John 5, right? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. So in verse 8, the three witnesses on earth, the spirit, the water, and blood, that's really translated to the spirit, Jesus, and Jesus, the Christ. So Jesus is there witnessing, telling them, I am the bread of life. It flies right over their head. And Jesus says, unless my father draw a person, he cannot come to me. And yet the father's in heaven. The witness in heaven is the father, the word, which is Christ and the Holy Spirit. On earth, there's only really three witnesses that are really two. The blood and the water are in Christ. They're not hearing him. And the Father must draw them. How? There's only other one, one other witness on earth. That's God. What is it? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And when we go back to John chapter 6, we see hints of it in the statement Jesus has actually already made. And this is clear to those who've been coming Wednesday as we've been exploring together. And I've been growing myself considering the work of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then what does he say? And I will raise him up at the last day. There's a hint there of how the drawing will happen. It's the same verse. Unless my Father draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Now it is saying Christ will raise him up. But what's interesting, and the brother shared this on Wednesday, is that we get a hint of how this raising will happen. And it involves the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Okay, so that was Romans 8, verse 11. In John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And that's the whole point. How are we going to see people drawn to this building to hear the gospel? Because they don't care to, right? The world is perishing and they don't even know it. We, we live in, in a strange spiritual zombie apocalypse. Dead people are walking around everywhere and they don't know it. Right? It's strange. Right? I go to home and I visit my family, dead people walking around. They don't know it. They don't know they're dead in transgressions, right? How are we going to see them saved unless the Father draw them? And how does this happen? Christ will raise them up on the last day. The raising up on the last day happens by the Spirit. That's one hint that the Father's drawing is by the Holy Spirit. There are others in the same context and in the same preaching of Jesus to these people. It is written in the, this is verse 45, the immediate next verse. Jesus says in verse 45 of John 6, it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. 
Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. How are people going to... We're talking about the unsaved, right? Hearing from the Father and then coming to Christ. How will that happen? God's not leaving His throne. Nowhere does it tell us that He's doing that. I'm talking about the Father. And in heaven, the Father is a witness, right? And the Word and the Spirit... But on earth, it's the blood, the water, which are both Jesus the Christ and the Spirit. So how is this supposed to happen? How are the unsaved supposed to hear and learn from God the Father? Right? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And those of you who who have been here on Wednesdays, you already know where I'm going with what we've covered several times. The Holy Spirit's ministry. There's a lot to be said of who the Holy Spirit is. He is a person and he is a God, not just any person. There's a lot to be said of his ministry to the believer. And there's a lot to be said of the ministry to the unbeliever. Doesn't live in the unbeliever, but the Holy Spirit has a ministry to the unbeliever as well. Okay, now what did Jesus say in verse 46, uh, verse 45? It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learn from the Father comes to me. How can they hear from the Father? Well, it's the Holy Spirit that teaches. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches. In fact, with the Holy Spirit's ministry, John fifteen twenty six, is to testify of Jesus, to glorify Jesus, to take of what is Jesus and declare it to us. Those are both John sixteen fourteen. Now, He is the Spirit of Truth. Talk about teaching. John, three times in John. Uh, 14, once in 14, once in 15, once in 16. He's the spirit of truth. Here's the teaching very directly. John 14, 26 and 1 John 2, 20. He teaches us all things. Uh, Those who are here on Wednesday are shaking their heads thinking we've been over this, right? But listen, the Holy Spirit, this is seen right here in the Gospels. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The Father's in heaven. How will the unsaved hear hear from the Father and learn and come to Christ? How will that happen? This happens in revivals all the time. Well, it is the Holy Spirit who teaches all things. John 14, 26, 1 John 2, 20. That is not to say that the unsaved have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I need to make this part clear because it can be confusing. The scriptures are clear that we first believe, that we first believe and then we get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit has a pre-salvation ministry. It has a pre-salvation ministry. In fact, the Holy Spirit's ministry to the world and the unbeliever is in John 16, verses 8 and 9. He will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He will convict them of righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father and we see him no more, John 16, 8 and 10. And John 16, 8 and 11, he will convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Those are all John 16, verses 8, 9, 10, 11. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin because they don't believe in Jesus, of righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father and we see him no more, and of judgment, convicts the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Those are specific ministries of the Holy Spirit to the world. I'm not going to say the Holy Spirit's unable to convict a believer of sin. He is. God says the world. Now, I know we're called apart from the world, right? And this is most perfectly referring to the unsaved. However, this ministry of the Holy Spirit, we know. When I sin, I don't feel good about it. I I hear about um, men getting away with secret lives of sin for years and years and years. And in my flesh, it all is no good thing. I understand this. But part of me is like, I don't understand. The Holy Spirit doesn't let me get away with that. I feel like it's eating at me inside. I have to confess, be cleansed of righteousness, right? And so the Holy Spirit is able to convict the believer of sin too. But here, most perfectly, it's to the world, this ministry, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment because of Jesus. They know him not, and he goes to the Father, and the ruler of this world is judged. And so, how will anyone come to Christ except that the Father draw him and that they be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The people we are 
talking to what the gospel need to hear and learn from the Father through the Holy Spirit's pre-salvation ministry that they're sinners on the way to destruction. It might sound a little alien, but you remember the day or night you were saved, many of you. You don't have to remember the day. It's most perfect if you do, but what if you got saved at a young age? That's okay. It's not the journey necessarily, but it's that you're at the destination. I heard an, uh, an illustration about it. Um, a man preaching said, you know, salvation is a state, right? Have you believed or have you not? Your salvation doesn't rest on your recollection and memory. You might get Alzheimer's late in, in life, right? And forget the day you believe. doesn't mean you lose your salvation, right? The person who arrives in a plane to one state and the person who drives in a car, a preacher said, the guy in the car sees the sign entering the state, remembers when they passed the sign on the road. The guy in the plane arrived to the state just the same, but never saw the sign. He was sleeping on the plane, right? And so it's an illustration. You don't have to remember, but listen, those of you who do, do you remember the day or night you got saved? how the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin, of righteousness and judgment, right? And so, as we move on, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not that anyone, and, and Jesus makes it clear in case the, they're going to be confused and wait, the Father's going to come visit us. Um, Jesus says, not that anyone has seen the Father, verse 46, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, and I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, they're, they're, they don't see it again. The Jews, therefore, qualled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And he goes on to tell them, most assuredly, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you know, you're not going to have any part in me, right? And they get even more confused, right? It, it's almost as if tongue-in-cheek, without mentioning the Holy Spirit, Jesus has told them, you're not going to believe until the Father speaks to you through the Spirit, Right Now he continues the ministry. He's got a ministry to do, the greatest of which is to die, is to fulfill, to give us the propitiation, to go on the cross and suffer an excruciating death that there could be through that death, remission of sins through that blood. For without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sins. He has that ministry and he has the ministry of the works he will do. All these ministries will continue. But Jesus has told them, listen, until you hear from God the Father, you're not going to believe. As you go out there and you do ministry and you evangelize, are you praying beforehand for the Heavenly Father to draw the unsaved? Right? Christ preached like nobody's business, right? We can all agree there's never been a greater preacher than him. Boy, did he draw the crowds, right? And yet, what does he say? He says, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. In fact, he told the crowds, he says, you're coming for the food. Right, And so, here's the greatest preacher ever, and he acknowledges the need for the Holy Spirit. The miracles begin when he's got the Holy Spirit. And not only that, he puts the entire Great Commission on hold until we would receive the Holy Spirit. Luke, the end of Luke, we went over this on Wednesday. Those of you who have heard it, um, I thank you for your patience. There are, there are some here who weren't there, so we do want to look at it to see how the Great Commission was put on hold until the Holy Spirit would come. Jesus would give the Great Commission. He gives it at the end of Matthew. Here it is at the end of Luke. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Okay? Thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. A gospel 
I don't think you could fit a more complete gospel in two verses, right? It's almost like he's God, right? He knows what he's saying. And then he says, you will be witnesses of this gospel. And then he says, but listen, you got to wait. He puts the brakes on the great commission. He says, you have to wait until you're endued with power from on high. Tarry, he says, in the city of Jerusalem, wait. And so the Holy Spirit's coming would be paramount to the witness of the Christians. And this is very relevant to this day. It's not that the day of Pentecost needs to occur again, but it's that we need more of the Holy Spirit. And God has poured it out from time to time in different regions. And you've heard about it, the true, not the, not the missions meetings, the true revivals of which many get saved in a short period of time. And sometimes we don't see that here and we say, you know what, that happens in the mission field. Well, I got news for you. People are sending missionaries here. How many of you heard about that? Yeah, countries are now sending missionaries to us. We have become the mission field in our transgressions now, right? And so we qualify. If that's your requirement for a revival, not that it's biblical, I could argue with you from the scriptures that it's not, for it doesn't have to be abroad. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But if your requirement in your mind is that it has to be a mission field, well, there's missionaries that are here that can attest that you're a mission field now. And we need a great work of God. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not the only brother in the brethren preaching this. I think it's a divine conspiracy of God. The Lord is preparing his people for something. And I, among many other brothers, have been given these messages to preach. Because the Lord wants to do a good thing. He wants to give us the best gift. Not that it doesn't already live in you, but given in a way you have not seen or experienced. And I have not experienced in that way that I've read about in the historical accounts. We're going to read one historical account in a little bit. Is this supposed to end? At 12.15. 12? Okay, all right. I may go over a little bit. Please forgive me of that. It'll be my first time, right? Those of you who know, okay, you all know me. You're laughing, all right. So, um, so... The Holy Spirit's ministry is crucial. In the book of Acts, in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost occurs, okay? And, and for sake of time, we're not going to read through all of it. I really recommend you go home and read it. What we tend to do sometimes is we tend to focus on the end of the book of Acts, chapter 2, right? Con verse 46, so continuing daily with one another and, and with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart we do that very good in the brethren we did it today we broke bread praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord added to the church daily those who are being saved right if if that's going to be our only pattern we're leaving out the entire rest of acts chapter 2 and it's an incomplete pattern. We're not really living out that whole scripture or seeking the whole scripture. In, in Acts chapter 2, what happens is when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all gathered with one accord in one place. And this is verse 2 now. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak with one another with a, with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance now there's a crowd of international people gathered everyone hears in their own language and they say what's going on how can these people speak in our own native language and a few mock and say these people are drunk but peter this is the same peter this is the same Peter who ran away from a young girl and denied Christ. I'm not with him. This Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up and preaches a gospel that I believe prior to this time had not ever been seen outside of something that, have come, that would have come from the mouth of Jesus himself. It says in verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And Peter goes on to quote Joel 
And then he moves on to give a gospel in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves so also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David not ascend, did not ascend into the heavens, but says, of, says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, apostles men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many of, as the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Now listen to this. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then comes the part we do so well in the brethren. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of, of heart. And it says then, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved, right? And so listen, if we consider just the end of the book of Acts chapter 2 of the book of Acts, we miss the whole point. This was all a work of the Holy Spirit. It's inarguable. I don't even know if that's a word, right? You cannot contest this. If you read all of Acts chapter 2, now you might say, well, Ali, it's happened then, it's one and done, we don't need to worry about it anymore. Well, then why is it in the scripture for you to read? Now, I want to be clear, I'm not saying the day of Pentecost needs to happen again. That was the birthday of the church. It wasn't a revival, it was the first awakening. I heard a preacher say, happy birthday to you, dear church. Right? It was on this day, and the Lord had told them, told them to tarry with the Great Commission till this day, till the day that they would be endued with power from on high. And it's happened. I don't believe the day of Pentecost needs to happen again, but what happened with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, with the ministry of the Holy Spirit that Jesus told us, He will, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will take of what is Jesus and declare it to us, and furthermore, that he would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It all plays out right here. Peter has taken of what is Jesus and declared it to the crowd in boldness. And he's quoted three portions of scripture, um, preaching, 
the scripture, quoting the scripture, and then preaching to them to repent, and then quoting the scripture, and then preaching again. How has he done that? How did he do that? There's books written out there that you need to study this outline and memorize it and do it. He did it by the Holy Spirit, right? We can't idolize an outline. We can't idolize some of these things. We need to desire this work in our lives to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to preach the word of God with boldness. And for the, and that's our part. God shows us and we take of what is Christ and we declare it to men. He took the scriptures and he declared it to men. And then the other part, the Holy Spirit's doing, convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So you see there's different parts. Let me bring it together for you. God is drawing them by the Holy Spirit. He's convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment by the Holy Spirit, the unsaved. So they're coming, they're hearing, they're being convicted. And God the Father, Jesus said, no one can come to Christ unless God the Father has taught him. They're being taught by God the Father through the Holy Spirit that they're sinners and they need to be saved of sin, righteousness, and judgment. They're being convicted. And on the other end, the Holy Spirit is empowering us to preach the word with boldness. Was it the words of Peter that saved these men? Or was it the power of God? Right? It was the power of God. And now, again, this happens again. Acts 4.31, Acts 16.26. And not exactly like the day of Pentecost. You don't have to have another day of Pentecost. Just an outpouring or a presence of the Holy Spirit, right? Acts 4.31, you can read these later. Acts 16.26, Acts 10.44 with Cornelius, the Gentiles, right? Then the Holy Spirit fell. Now, I don't want you to be confused. I don't believe you or I have the power to, to call down the Holy Spirit, right? God sends it. Jesus prayed. This is, we've been studying this. The Holy Spirit is sent to us by God the Father, Let me, let me, I have it right here. I just need to find it. Okay, it's the spirit whom the world cannot receive. The world neither sees him or knows him, but we know him. For he dwelt with us at the time of Jesus, lives in us now. Pardon me for just a moment. Here it is. The Holy Spirit, John 15, 26, is sent to us in Jesus' name. John 15, 26. And John 14, 26 is sent by Jesus. And John 16, 7, it's sent as a result of Jesus praying to the Father to give him to us. So the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. John 15, 26 is sent to us in Jesus' name. John 14, 26. It's sent by Jesus, John 16, 7, as a result of Jesus praying to the Father to give him to us, John 14, 16, right? And the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself, but that which he hears. What did Peter speak? Was he speaking about the Holy Spirit? He was speaking of Christ, right? But these men did not neglect the Holy Spirit. Neither would they ashamed to mention it. He said, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see in here. It happens again in the books of, book of Acts over, over and over again, and it's happened in history. This is a book that um, it's called Revival by a brother named Brian H. Edwards. This brother writes for Answers in Genesis, an excellent creation website, and all, I, all I'll say about this book, I'll appeal to the uh, godly reputation of, of two humble men, and I'll tell you, um, Scott DeGroff and Mike Atwood have a favorite book about revival, and it's this one, and it's this one. This is not divinely inspired scripture. This, 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 nothing can be compared to the word of God, but they have a favorite book on revival, and those two brothers, Scott and Mike, they read so much, they make me look illiterate. And how much they read. And so they haven't read one or two books on revival. I don't know how many they've read. I don't know if they could tell you how many they've read. But this is their favorite. And the gist of this book, I'm going to give it to you. The author says it in this sentence. He talks about a time when the church is desperately in need of revival. Of which we are. Of which we desperately are. And he says, at a time like this, there are two things that Christians ought to be doing. First, we should be studying our Bibles to find out what God has to say on the subject of revival, which we're looking at. 
And second, we should search, we should be searching into history to discover what God has done in the past. I believe the result of these two things must drive us to prayer. So looking at the scriptures, studying the Bible, looking at historical accounts of what God's done in the past, and considering the scriptures and what God says in his truth and his word, and considering what God has done in history over and over again, these two things should drive us to prayer, to ask for God to do it again in our day. Imagine 5,000 kids outside of this building, unable to get in, right? How many of you really want that? You have to want this stuff. You have to want more of God in your life. You have to desire this, okay? And in any event, I'm going to give you an account of revival and keep in mind the ministry of the Holy Spirit as you hear these things. Um, I'll just say a few more things about the book um, in, in light of some of the research I've done looking at it. In the back, the author quotes the different books and historical accounts, newspapers, articles that he's gone through history, pulled and painstakingly researched to come and put these accounts together and to make the chapters in the book. And, and I would say the vast, the overwhelming majority of stuff in this book is very assembly friendly, very assembly friendly, right? The overwhelming majority. I want to agree with 100% of it because it's not the Bible. Right? But the overwhelming majority is very assembly friendly. And in the back, his book list of other revival books he's read and looked at are unbelievable. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I don't know how many years it took him to put this together. And in the, and toward the back, he's taken five different accounts of revival and he's put them there. And I'm going to read one of them to you. But before I read them to you, I want you to consider this as we're reading this. As we're reading this, how the message that Jesus preached must be done. If people are to come to Christ, the Father must draw them. They must hear from the Father and be taught by the Father. How? By the Spirit. What is the Spirit's role to the unbelievers? Because it doesn't live in them, right? It's going to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So as we read this, I want you to consider, as you hear the story, how the Scripture is being fulfilled, how God is drawing them and both convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But there's a Peter there preaching. Not an apostle from the, from the early church, just a modern day Peter, a brother in the Lord. And this brother talks about it in the books. He says, the men that God uses in revival are very aware of their own inadequacies and they're extremely humble. This revival happened in Lewis, Scotland in 1949. Okay? These have happened throughout the, throughout the centuries. This one's in Lewis, Scotland in 1949. The following account is concerned with the revival in the Isle of Lewis between 1949 and 1952. Lewis is one of the Hebridean islands off the west coast of Scotland. It had experienced many revivals during the 19th century and earlier in the 20th century. The record here is taken from the witness of those who were personally involved. Their stories are recorded on a cassette issued by Ambassador Productions of Belfast Limited under the title Lewis Land of Revival. In 1949, Duncan Campbell visited the island to conduct a two-week evangelistic mission and in the event stayed for two years. See, Duncan Campbell didn't come to conduct a revival. We hear this all the time in churches today. Revival meeting. Has God showed up yet? Then it's not a revival meeting. It's a missions meeting. Duncan Campbell went to conduct a two-week evangelistic mission, a missions meeting, and in the event stayed for two years. What could cause a man to stay 52 times more often than he planned? Here's what happened. In 1949, a new minister came to the parish of Barvas and decided to spend two nights a week in prayer. And I'll pause there. I should say one thing. You see this throughout. You see it in 1 Corinthians. God is not sectarian. And you see it in the different revivals. God is not sectarian. If you hear a word or two because of the Christian lingo speak they use, I think one guy says a word covenant somewhere in there. He might be covenant theology. You know, now does that mean you and I are? No, it doesn't. But that doesn't mean God will not give them the Holy Spirit either. Right? God is not sectarian. So if you hear a few things, you're like, I don't know if that lines up with my doctrines. Well, it lined up with God showing up there. Not to say the doctrine was correct, but that God decided he was going to work there. 
that he was going to do a powerful work. And that these revivals, they're all different. God is, not, God is not partial to man. Remember those scriptures? He does not regard man. He's not partial to man, right? He's not sectarian. So in 1949, he shows up and he, and he decides to spend two nights a week in prayer. For three months, he spent Tuesdays and Fridays in a barn with a few praying members. One evening, they broke through in prayer. And, quote, a power was let loose that shook Hebrides. Soon there was a hunger and a life in the congregation, and they, quote, a fantastic liveliness in the prayer meetings, unquote. For the first two weeks of Duncan's mission, no one was converted. Instead of saved, this denomination uses converted under cassette tape. No one was converted. And then on the last night, seven young people made a commitment to Christ. At the end of this service, the benediction was pronounced, and it was suggested that the congregation should go home. But when they went to the door of the church, a great crowd of people was gathering as if drawn by some unseen hand. By an unseen hand. Soon the church was packed. Even the pulpit stairs were crowded and people were crying to God for mercy. This is in 1949. The minister gave out the metrical Psalm 102, quote, when Zion's bondage, God turned back, unquote. And one Christian present comments, we sang and we sang and we sang. You were aware of the spirit of the Lord just there. The minister eventually sent everyone home, but announced that there would be another meeting in about an hour in the home of Mr. McDougall. Crowds packed into this home and many were converted. What happened? They were going to go home and they opened the door and a crowd of people was gathering as if drawn by an unseen hand. This is not the only revival in which this has happened. It's not the only revival in which this has happened. This has happened before. God draws them. How many of you know Nate Bramson? Right? How many of you know Joe Reese? Dear brothers in the Lord, it's, I wasn't there, but it's to my understanding that those two brothers were on Spanish wells and there was praying, there was a lot of praying going on. And even, even in Kansas, the saints were praying and the saints were praying all over and all of a sudden in Spanish wells, they say a wind blew over the island. And kids came running out of the nightclubs and bars desiring to hear about the Lord. Our brethren, brothers, and sisters witnessed it, right? And Scott DeGroff made phone calls fact-checking that there was a wind that blew on the island, right? And we could use a wind here in South Florida and not a hurricane, right? We could use a wind of God, right? And so here's, here's what happens. Crowds packed into Mr. McDougall's home and many were converted. Throughout the revival, Duncan Campbell preached with great power, demolishing the arguments of unbelievers as if he knew the condition of everyone present, right? How does this guy know the condition of people present? It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit that God's working with him. First of all, that he's preaching with great power is the work of the Holy Spirit. For the word of, for the, for the things of God, the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. And how does he know the condition of people present, right? God, this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit that on the spot, the Lord is empowering this brother to preach in a way that speaks to people's hearts. He's speaking all truth to him, the Lord is. Listen to what happens. Even those who resisted the Spirit were aware of the reality of it all. One young lady describes how she, how she went to the meetings reluctantly. Why is she going? She went to the meetings reluctantly. She recognized that the preacher and the singing were sincere, but at first she was not moved, even though she quotes, the whole atmosphere was full of the presence of God, end quote. Soon it became clear to her that the Christians had something she did not have, and she, and, and she knew she would never be content until she found it. She began reading the Bible without anyone knowing and often hid her Bible under a copy of the People's Friend so that people would think that she was reading that instead. I don't know what that publication was in 1949. I imagine it's like People Magazine today, 
right? And so here's what happens. During one meeting, Duncan Campbell stopped and said, you are sitting here with your Bible in one hand and the people's friend in the other. That shook her. The next night, she went along with five friends and as they approached the church, she announced to them, the, the five of us here tonight and he... He will preach on the five foolish virgins. End quote. She was not mocking and admits she was secretly terrified that he would. That was Duncan's text that evening. What's God doing? The Holy Spirit doesn't live in her, right? But God the Father is, is teaching her this, is speaking to her what's about to happen. That's one thing the Holy Spirit does. He will tell you of things to come. Now, I'll be the first person to say... Prophecy about what's about to happen is extremely rare. And I'm going to test it like nobody's business if I hear someone say it. I'm going to wait to see if it happens. I'm going to look at the scriptures and I'm going to test it. But I'm not going to deny the power of God if it happens. She walks into that meeting and she hears the gospel. Duncan's text was the very text the Holy Spirit laid on her heart. Duncan Campbell's method was to preach on sin, condemnation, and hell during the services. Why? Because that aligns with the Holy Spirit's ministry to the unbelievers, right? but to reserve the way of salvation for the after meetings attended only by those who were genuinely seeking the way of salvation. He did not preach the gospel to those who were uninterested until they were under conviction. Then he showed them the loveliness of Christ and salvation. Did we read that in the word? We did. When they heard this, they were cut to heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. What he was doing was exactly what happened in the book of Acts, right? Coupled with this preaching was congregational singing of the unaccompanied metrical psalms in Gaelic, which was, quote, very powerful. One person involved in the revival comments, I have never heard before or after singing like I heard in the revival. The presence of God was often closer in the singing than at any other time. Many said the singing indicated the kind of meeting it would be. Often people were converted during the singing. Everything became new and the things of the world did not seem to matter anymore. I know a brother in New Jersey who went to the island of Spanish Wells sometime after the revival was hanging out with the kids who were saved during the revival and he said, Ali, all of a sudden they started singing and there was this presence and power in the air. We need this. You know, I could go on reading this. I don't want to keep you guys here all day. I've already gone over time. But it goes on to give more and more glorious stories. Difficult people. Hard-headed people. At the end of that revival, Duncan Campbell goes back later on to visit the island. And one minister tells him, I believe it was a minister, tells him, you see that shack over there that's boarded up? Duncan says, yeah. He says, that was the drinking lodge. He says, it's closed. It's been closed since the revival. And he says, in fact, 15 men from last night's prayer meeting frequented that place before the revival came. We could use that today. Knowing what I've studied, both in the Word and in the historical accounts, if a revival, if you guys went to God in prayer and sought and sought earnestly, praying fervently, effectually in prayer, and putting away the ungodly things in your life, the two most important things to bring revival is put away the unholiness, live a holy existence, and pray like nobody's business. If you guys did that, here's what would happen. The Muslims across the street would start walking in here on their own. And hear the gospel preached and get saved. To your amazement, there would be a presence and power. Now your singing is already good, but there would be this, this tingling presence in it that's of God, of which people would come in hearing the singing and get saved. This is not the only revival in which people got saved in the singing. Who gets the glory when people get saved in the singing? The preacher? Only the one who was being worshipped. Right? God can do it. But we have to desire it. And this is part of the reason the Lord has burdened me to look at teachings on the Holy Spirit because this stuff has happened beginning at the day of Pentecost, going through the book of Acts, going through history, and come look at this book in the end and look at all the different dates of the historical revivals. And one thing you'll find is God wants to give this to us. But we have to want it. We have to want it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I confess that I don't want it enough. 
I don't want it enough. And Lord, that's my problem. It's not your fault. And many of us have gone cold. And we go about our day-to-day lives as if that's what the Great Commission was about. But Lord, we study this book, the Bible and the book of Acts. We see men who left everything instead of the American dream. People sold things. They had all things in common. And you added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Lord, the ripple effect of the way they lived by the power of the Holy Spirit has continued to this very room today. That the gospel's preaching went on and through great awakening after great awakening and work of the Holy Spirit after work of the Holy Spirit, even we, even we heard from you, Lord, when you opened our eyes and you took away our blindness because you spoke to us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to desire this in a way we've never seen. Bring us to our knees, Lord. I confess, I need your help. There's too many distractions in the world. We know that sometimes we pray here, we pray there, but Lord, we know you want all of us. We're to pray without ceasing. And you say this for our sakes, that you would give us good things. In the words of one man who saw a revival, he cried out, Lord, He said, God wants to give us good things. Would that he would trust us. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to live a holy life. To put away the ungodly things in our life. That by doing this, we might show you we're serious. We want to see you do great things. In the words of that man who got saved, he was a hardened boxer, I believe. He got saved, and decades after the revival, he was still saved, telling people, remember what God did. Remember. We thank you, Lord, that you withhold no good thing from us, and you desire from heaven to pour it out, your Holy Spirit, the very Spirit that lives in us. Help us to be filled with it, singing to one another in songs and hymns and making melody in our heart, praying to the Father and the Son to pour out his spirit, that we might see our neighbors saved. Lord, we confess, I confess, I've tried to do ministry without you, and it has been so foolish. And then I've seen you work in ministry, and I've abhorred anything that I could do, for it's incomparable. Give us more more of you, Lord, and give us a desire to pray, to go before you, and to study your spirit, and to pray for an outpouring of it. In Jesus' name, amen.